Good evening to each of you. God bless you as we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our precious Lord and our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus, the one who says in John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, as Brother Davey just welcomed us to come. If we are willing to come, he will in no wise cast us out. We are safe when we come to Jesus and when we walk with him, when we walk in his, his will. Well, I bring you greetings from Shippensburg, uh, Pennsylvania. And I look at a lot of strange faces here tonight. I don't see a lot of familiar ones, just a couple. Uh, Brother Dave Heatwall that I haven't seen for quite a few years, really, but I talked with him on the phone. Uh, Dave and I went to Bible school together at Maranatha. Right as I was coming into the Mennonite culture and the Mennonite community, I went to a Maranatha Bible school and met 70 other young people, and Dave was one of those. And, of course, I know Brother Claire, and I know Brother Davey, and I know Brother Jonathan, just getting to know him, actually. just met him a few months ago as he came up to the revival conference there at, at Mount Olive. Um, I don't see anybody else here that I can really say. Oh, Brother Alan Good, I've seen him before, and he, he had to tell me his name tonight. But you know what's really important tonight? Of course, I know some of the sisters because of their, their wives of these men that I just mentioned, but it's not important that I know you and that you know me so much this week. As we get to know each other, I'm really looking forward to the fellowship and getting to know one another. But it is important that we all know our Savior. It is important that we all know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the goal. That is the reason that we gather. That is the reason that we worship our Father in heaven tonight because of the Lord Jesus. I also want to say tonight thank you very much for, I think it was last night, we were sitting in my living room. We had some company there, and the phone began to light up. There was texts began to come through. Somebody was communicating here to pray for the, the evangelist as he came and there were some of you who most of you who remained anonymous I don't know who was sending those messages and saying that you're praying for this week and you're praying for me and you're praying for my family as they're back home thank you so much for that very encouraging very welcoming uh, to come into your midst knowing that you are you are praying for us in that way well just a little bit about myself before we get into the to the message tonight God has blessed my wife and I with five <laughs> As of 10 days ago, five beautiful children um, for a long while now. For 10 years, I've, I've always said my, that my, my girls, the girls, and now God has given my wife and I a, a first little newborn son. And uh, this daddy, that's pretty close to my heart. I couldn't be happier, I don't think, right now, with what God has gift, gifted us with. Um, yeah, little Darren Mark was born just 10 days ago, and so we're finding out what newborn life is like again and caring for him. And because of that, my family will not be able to come. Usually when we're this close home, I'll typically be here for the week because our girls are in school, some, uh, the oldest two are. And then I'll travel home, which I do plan to do this week, by the way, Friday evening, and then usually bring my family when it's this close. But just because of how young this newborn son is and uh, just getting into, I think you understand all of that goes with that, but because of, of that, uh, my wife is going to stay back, and uh, probably the, the girls will stay with them. So I appreciate your prayers. Her sister, Christine, Christine Lehman, for anybody who may know her, is there with her tonight and actually plans to be there for the week, I believe. So she's in good care. Uh, the, the congregation back home has been 
very, uh, very done very well at reaching out and saying, listen, if there's anything that's needed, if there's something that needs to be done at the house, just give us a call. We'll come over and help where we're needed. So we are, we're very blessed tonight to have the support of the brothers and sisters. What a treasure to be a part of the family of God. Brothers and sisters who love us, who care for us, who share the love of Jesus Christ, not just in our own settings, but also that we can shine into a dark, dark, dark and sinful world. Oh, it's a tremendous, tremendous gift. I can't imagine being anywhere else tonight. And I feel so unworthy and so indebted to my Lord and my Savior. And I feel so humbled to be able to stand before a congregation such as this and be able to minister the precious holy word of God. I am not worthy. There's guilt on these hands tonight. But because of the blood of Jesus, that has been erased. That has been cleansed. That has been washed. There is a sanctifying process that's happening in this brother that stands before you. And I trust in your lives as well. But it's all because of Jesus. And so my heart and my my desire again this week is to stand behind the cross and point you to him. Point you to Jesus Christ. He is the answer to our problems in life. He is the answer to our needs in life. Jesus Christ. And I don't think that's anything new to you. But are you really walking with him? Are you really experiencing Jesus as your precious Savior and your precious Lord, as you give your life to Him daily. Well, Michelle is our oldest daughter. Her, she is uh, 10 years old, and she's in fifth grade. Our second daughter is Jeanette, and she is eight, and she's in third grade. And then we have Sharla. Sharla is five. Uh, Sharla loves to play with her sisters, and, and she loves to be read to. She loves books. Actually, all of our girls like books. Joe Lynn, then, she's at age two and trying to copycat everything her, little, her big sisters are doing and wants to be involved with everything they're doing. And, uh, and then we have Darren, who's, who's age 10. Age 10 days, how about that? <laughs> wow. It's, he's going to grow up fast, but I hope not that fast. <laughs> People tell me that, he's, that they're going to grow up really fast, so enjoy them while they're young. So, yes, I think we're going to go back to 10 days. <laughs> I do serve as a minister at, at Roe, at the Roe Mennonite Church. And there is, there is a, uh, there, it is a blessing to serve there in, in that community and in that congregation. There's been a lot of trials, a lot of heartache, and a lot of, of uh, challenges in my own life and walk as I've adjusted from the River Brethren, is my background, the Brethren community into the Mennonite culture. I, I freely acknowledge that. And, I, you know, it's just, just differences. But I've learned to love you all, as well as the brethren people, the brethren, the Mennonites, and there's a lot of different other cultures that we could uh, get into tonight. I have a couple of brothers. I have two brothers who are part of the River Brethren, a brother that's in the Church of the Brethren. Brother Davey was telling me that he grew up in the Church of the Brethren. I have a sister who's in the Dunkard Brethren Church. I have a brother and a sister who don't know the Lord, who aren't walking with Jesus, and they're pretty close to my heart even tonight. I actually am the only Mennonite in my immediate family. Um, and so there's a whole history there, of course. There's a life story that we all share, and maybe sometime we can get into that, but not for now. God has blessed us tremendously. And uh, I do want to say that I have a picture of my family. I failed. I was running late. I got to Brother Jonathan's, and four, pretty much we got there and had to turn and come straight here. So I do have a family picture that is back, home, back at, at Brother Jonathan. so by... Lord willing, tomorrow night we'll have it back here that you all can see my family and um, 
have a face to the ones that you're so diligently praying for. Well, my parents lived five minutes from the Roe Church, actually, where I, where I pastor at now. And there was, a, there was a school, Anchor Christian School, for those of you who are familiar with the area. Uh, they sent us to school there. So I did all 12 grades of schooling. So that's where I became acquainted with the Mennonite people. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that if I did go to school there, I probably wouldn't be in the Mennonite community. Uh, but God is bigger than all of, all of that, and he, he knows the details of our lives, and he guides us accordingly. I was not familiar with meetings like these growing up. I wasn't familiar with revival meetings. Um, I was at the age of 17 when I entered my first Sunday school class. I was scared. That was different. In the River Brethren settings, how many of you know any River Brethren people? Okay. All right. All right, so more than I actually expected, maybe through CLP and some workings there and, and, and other relationships. So I'm sure we'll be able to make connections. Pretty much, if you tell me a River Brother name, I'll, I'll know them. or I'll know them, if not personally, I'll know them at least by acknowledging their name. I'll know them as for who they are. And that's how small the River Brother people are. There's two, there's two groups of River Brother in Franklin County where I'm at. There's a group down in Lancaster County, and then there's a group that's actually down in West Virginia now. They just started an outreach. And then there's one over in the state of Iowa. Other than that, that's the extent of River Brother. And I moved, I came into the Mennonite community, and wow. I can't, I can't, I don't know everybody's names in the Mennonites because Mennonites are all over. Um, the River Brother, instead of having Sunday school, they had what they called testimony meeting. So about from 9, it start, the service would start at 9 o'clock in the, in, on Sunday morning, and Usually by 5 or 10 after, they would, they would open it up for testimonies, and they still do this. And brothers and sisters would stand. They would maybe give out a hymn, a song that meant something to them, and then they would stand and, and bear testimony of what the Lord is doing in their life. And they do that every Sunday morning. And as a young man, I can tell you of many situations when I would sit, and sit beside my dad for a while, and then when I became a youth, I would sit in the back, and I would listen to, to mama's stand and daddy's stand and tears sometimes coming down their cheeks as they would cry out, for the mercy of God in their life and expressed maybe the battles of the things that they've been struggling with that past week, whatever. It would help open up windows of each other's lives to one another. It would help, it would help connect and bond, I believe, in a, in a brotherhood way that uh, I, I just promote that same spirit and that same uh, sharing life together as much as we can in our brotherhoods because we need each other. We really need each other. When we try to live life alone, well, you know what happens to that ember that, that uh, separates itself from the rest. It soon dies out. One more, one more announcement, and then we're going to move in to the message. Listen very carefully. It's very simple. It's very simple. But there's a message I need to tell you before we get started into this week, and that is this. Four words. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> I assume you southern folks are, are as much like we are up north there where plenty of people, it's at least a social event, if nothing else, to sit around with their coffee mugs and sip on coffee. I don't drink coffee. I didn't grow up drinking coffee, and I can drink it. It's not that. It's not. I love the smell of coffee, but to actually drink it, 
It, it has never satisfied my thirst. Well, it has satisfied my thirst probably, but it has never satisfied me. It's never given me, it hasn't done much for me. So no offense at all. If you want to drink coffee at, at your meals, I'm looking forward to the southern hospitality. I have very much looking forward to that, but save yourself on the coffee when it comes to me. I just wanted to make sure that we were, that we were clear there. So God bless you as you prepare meals and reach out. But, yeah, coffee is not a need in my life. So this is revival meetings. What do you do when you go to revival meetings? One of the things we do before we get to revival meetings that I know that you've been doing, and that is praying, interceding, asking God to come before us and to go before us and to lead us and to just shine heaven's floodlight, if it were. Jesus don't need a floodlight. He can just walk into see our lives very well, but praying. I was blessed as we sat here and prayed tonight, and I could hear, I believe it was the young men. Is that who was off here, Tor? I was blessed by hearing the young men's voices over there interceding and praying. God bless you, young men, in doing that. The church needs you and, and will be blessed by your labors and by your efforts and by your intercessions today, let alone tomorrow, if you will, as you are leaders in the future. One of the things at Revival that we want to do is we want God to come and to show us in a more perfect way what his will is for us and how he would have us to live here as, he, as we are exemplifying his person and his character. I have ten points here that, I would, that you may have heard before. This is by A.W. Tozer that I'd like to just read very quickly as how to prepare ourselves and how to experience Revival. Number one is this, get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself. Is that possible? Can we do that? In a sleepy, hurry-up world? That's kind of contradictory, I know. But in 2019 now, much that is pulling for our attention, much that is happening all around us, get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself. Complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress. The contented soul is the stagnant soul. When speaking of earthly goods, Paul could say, I have learnt to be content, but when referring to his spiritual life, he testified, I press on toward the mark. So stir up the gift of God that is within thee. Number two, set your face like a flint toward a sweeping transformation of your life. Timid experiments are tagged for failure before they start. We must throw our whole soul into our desire for God. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Number three, put yourself in the way of blessing. It is a mistake to look for grace to visit us as a kind of benign magic or to expect God's help to come as a windfall apart from conditions known and met. There are plainly marked paths which lead straight to the green pastures. Let us walk in them. To desire revival, for instance, and at the same time to neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way, and to walk another. Number four, do a thorough job of repenting. Do not hurry to get it over with. Hasty repentance means shallow spiritual experience and lack of certainty in the whole life. Let godly sorrow do her healing work. Until we allow the consciousness of sin to wound us, we will never develop a fear of evil. It is our wretched habit of tolerating sin that keeps us in our half-dead condition. Number five, make restitution wherever possible. If you owe a debt, pay it. 
or at least have a frank understanding with your creditor about your intention to pay so that your honesty will be above question. If you have quarreled with anyone, go as far as you can in an effort to achieve reconciliation. As fully as possible, make the crooked things straight. Number six, bring your life into accord with the Sermon on the Mount and such other New Testament scriptures. As are designed to instruct us in the way of righteousness, an honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. I recommend that the self-examination be made on our knees, rising to obey God's commandments as they are revealed to us from the word. There is nothing romantic or colorful about this plain, downright way of dealing with ourselves, but it gets the work done. Isaac's workmen did not look like heroic figures as they dug in the valley, but they got the wells open, and that was what they had set out to do. A.W. Tozer's writing here, number seven. Number seven is be serious-minded. You can well afford to see, he wrote in his time, fewer comedy shows on TV, which we have stood out against for many, many years, but now we have it in our homes. We have TV in our homes. We have Internet. Do you all allow Internet here? Okay. What are we doing with our Internet? You can well afford to see fewer comedy shows or video clips or YouTube watch, whatever you want to put, social media uses, Unless you break away from those funny, you put in there whatever adjective you you want to, every spiritual impression will continue to be lost to your heart. And that right in your own living room or right in wherever you may have your computer or your cell phone, your smartphone. The people of the world used to go to the movies to escape serious thinking about God and religion. You would not join them there, but you now enjoy spiritual communion with them in your own home. The devil's ideals, moral standards, and mental attitudes are being accepted by you without your knowing it. And you wonder why you can make no progress in your Christian life. Your interior climate is not favorable to the growth of spiritual graces. There must be a permanent improvement in your interior life. Very familiar to all of us, I think that one point, that point was. Number eight, deliberately narrow your interests. The jack of all trades is the master of none. The Christian life requires that we be specialists. Too many projects use up time and energy without bringing us nearer to God. If you will narrow your interests, God will enlarge your heart. Jesus only seems to the unconverted man to be the motto of death. But a great company of happy men and women can testify that it became to them a way into the world infinitely wider and richer than anything they had ever known before. Jesus Christ is the essence of all wisdom, beauty, and virtue. To know him in growing intimacy is to increase in appreciation of all things good and beautiful. The mansions of the heart will become larger when their doors are thrown open to Christ and closed against the world in sin. A.W. Tozer says, try it. Number nine is begin to witness. Find something to do for God and your fellow men. Refuse to rust out. Make yourself available to your pastor and do anything you are asked to do. Do not insist upon a place of leadership. Learn to obey. Take the low place until such a time as God sees fit to set you in a higher one. Back your new intentions with your money and your gifts, such as they are. And last but not least, number 10, is have faith. Have faith in God. Begin to expect... Look up toward the throne where your advocate is at the, at the Father's right hand, at God's right hand. All heaven is on your side. God will not disappoint you. God will not fail you. God will not let us down. Have faith in God. God knows how desperately his church needs himself today, tonight. 
God knows how desperately the church needs a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening. And it can only come through the revived individual. To To be little with God tonight is to be little for God. To be much with God is to be much for God. If your heart is here to be revived, I'm just going to ask you to stand with me. Stand to your feet and let's sing together prayerfully. Spirits of the living God, come fall fresh on me. Do we know that song? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh We pray that sincerely tonight. We pray that, Lord, from the honesty of our hearts, from the need of our life. We pray that the Spirit of the living God would fall fresh on us tonight. Lord, there may be some here who has been serving you for 20 and 30 and 40, maybe even 50 years. But we ask that you would fall fresh on that brother or that sister tonight. There may be some here, Lord, who has just given their heart to Jesus Christ and are just opening their life up to you for the first in the last week or two. We just pray, Lord, that you would fall fresh upon that heart and that life tonight. I pray, O oh God, that we would see Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would be very close to us as he ministers to us, and that we would, we would be aware of and we would hear that still small voice as he ministers and as he talks to me. Lord, I pray. We wouldn't look at our brother. We wouldn't look at our sister. We wouldn't think about the brother beside us or the sister beside us, but that we would think about Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus that has been spilt there at Calvary to wash me of my sins as I have but by faith put my faith in Jesus and choose to live a life of obedience unto him as my Lord. I just pray, O oh Father, tonight that as we gather We know that we have an enemy who is out to kill, steal, and to destroy any soul that has anything to do with Jesus Christ. And I pray, O Father, in the name of Jesus, that he would be held bound outside of these walls tonight and this week as we worship you. I pray, Lord, that this will be a safe place because Jesus is here and Satan will not be able to have free course in our lives. And so we pray, Lord, that you would hold him bound and that we would be able to come close to you and see you for who you are and to be changed because of it. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus again. Amen. And you may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 2. And as you're turning there into Joshua chapter 2, I would like us to think about 
In a figurative way tonight, I would like to welcome another person to this service here tonight. And as we think about this, this is a young lady that we would like to welcome. We would like to open up the back door and we welcome her in. And as she's coming in and she's entering in the, the center aisle, we're going to welcome her up here to sit on this empty bench here to my right. We want her to sit here. And as she comes, you'll notice that there is something different about this young lady than what I see of any other of the sisters that are gathered in here tonight. There's something different about her. You'll notice that her hair is all dolled up. She has makeup on. She has a certain style to her walk. She's only half-dressed. She is a sinner. Living in the low end of living, if we want to call it that. And we welcome her. We welcome her. I don't know if you have a sign outside that says, Everybody's welcome. Is she welcome here? And as we welcome her in here to sit in the front pew, I ask you this, what do you see? Oh, by the way, she has a name. Her name is Rahab. And we want to read about her in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, we're going to read the entire chapter. So if you have your Bibles, please follow closely as we read Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim, two men to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate." Verse 8, before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what ye did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. 
Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou dost let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And he will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Very familiar story to us. Probably most of us could have known this story, know the details of this story very well. Maybe you've been taught about this when you were just a little boy or little girl in Sunday school. You've been taught about Rahab. Rahab, a prostitute, a wicked sinner, an immoral person. We say stay away from her. We cannot look at her because of the life that she is living How can we spend time looking at somebody like Rahab? She is a dirty, defiled sinner. One of our prayers this week, I believe, should be this. God, break my heart by that which breaks your heart. And God, for my life, help break my heart by that which breaks your heart. And God, help me to see Your creations. Help me to see your people. Help me to see the people that you have created in this world as you see them, God. And how many of us are guilty for looking at the Rahabs and looking at the sinner or looking at maybe our co-worker or somebody in our life that we despise? Because we're looking at them through the eyes of criticism or we're looking at them through the lenses of carnality at one level or another and we're not looking at them as Jesus looks at them. Help me to see Rahab like you see Rahab. I think about Samuel when he was going to look at the sons of Jesse. When God told Samuel, he said, look, I know you think it's Eliab, I think it's Eliab or Eliab or something like that, the oldest son. You think it's him, but he said, I want you to know something. He said, you're looking on the outward appearance. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. God doesn't see you. God doesn't see me like you see me tonight. God doesn't see you like I tend to see you. Does that make sense? God has such a greater understanding and such a... uh, His love is so much more magnificent than the love that we have towards one another as brothers and sisters. And I'm not saying that you don't love each other tonight. I trust that you do. God, help us to love one another. That's a sign that we are a child of His, actually, by our love one for another. But God loves His people. And He loves Rahab as much as He loves the best saint in the house tonight. Do you believe that in your heart and mind? Man is equal to Him. There is no respecter of persons in the eyes of God as He looks down from heaven, as He walks among us, as He visits us here tonight. He loves us all the very same. We are equal to Him. 
from the front bench to the back, no matter our last name, no matter who we are. And so I invite you to come up, in, not literally, but in your mind's eye, figuratively, come up and look into the eyes of Rahab. Men with a pure heart, with a pure mind, look into the eyes of Rahab all the way down to her heart where God is looking, where God is working, where God will work in the life of Rahab, where God will work in the life of the person who you think there's no hope for. And maybe that's you, and maybe that's somebody else that, that God has brought to your mind. But I want you to see them tonight as God would see them. God wants us to see them as he would see them. Look not on the outward appearance, but look at the heart where God will dwell. I have five noble attributes of Rahab's character. This defiled, wicked sinner as she enters the building tonight. To teach us. The title of the message is Rahab, a call to revival. Rahab. A call to revival. What are some things that are in her heart that God was able to use to help change her life and to change the life of her whole family, actually, and those around her? Rahab, first of all, demonstrates, as you see in this chapter that we just read, she demonstrates a spirit of teachableness. If we want to be revived this week, we have to come with a heart that wants to be taught. We don't know it all. Sometimes... Sometimes the pastor stands up or the Sunday school teacher stands up or maybe even the song leader stands up or maybe somebody just enters the church building and you say, oh boy, here comes so and so. And you have, you have shut off your heart to be taught, especially from that individual, and you're not even allowing God to speak through them to reach your heart. And we're guilty of doing that, I think, in our conservative setting sometimes where we, we don't hear the voice of God because we let the obstacles the challenges, the disagreements of each other separate God's voice from getting to our hearts. So Rahab demonstrates a heart of teachableness. You see that in verse 11. Verse 11 where she's, she said, Our hearts did melt. When we realized here in, in this city of Jericho, when we realized what we heard happen at the Red Sea, when the sea was parted and God brought you right through there and the Egyptians were destroyed, our hearts didn't melt within us. We knew that the God that you were worshiping was a God to be feared. They saw not the children of Israel, but they saw their God. They saw their God. And because of you, they said, we had fear and our hearts did melt before us. Rahab was a Canaanite woman. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't part of the church. She wasn't part of God's chosen people. She wasn't a part of the Bethany Mennonite church. By the way, I like your church name. I just have to say that. I wanted to say that in the intro. And maybe I didn't even tell you my wife's name. My wife's name is Bethany. So this is a, I was looking forward to what Bethany Mennonite church and the people that gather here must look like. If you're as wonderful as the, the, the woman that I get to share life with, then you're pretty special people. <laughs> Rahab wasn't able to be a part of the Bethany Mennonite Fellowship. She, she wasn't able to be a part of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, God's called out ones. She wasn't a part of them, and so she was outside. She was, she was one who was outside looking in, if you will. But she saw that the God that you claim to know in your heart and life, she saw who you were worshiping. And that is what drew her here to this service, if you will, tonight. And then we welcome her in here to the front pew. She had an open mind. Rahab did. She heard how the, how the God of Israel led his, led his people. And 
in spite of the lifestyle that she was living, in spite of the sin that she was committing daily, as male guests would enter her house, God was working on her heart. Do you see it? God was working on her heart even in that moment, even in that state of her life. She was watching the children of Israel and seeing how their God was leading them. And she saw a ray of hope within these two spies. One day in Tijuana, Mexico, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years ago now at least, maybe longer. My first time being in Tijuana, Mexico, I was out helping with the the street evangelism, street work there, L.A. for Jesus in uh, Los Angeles, California. We went down to Tijuana for a day. And a picture that I won't ever forget, I, I suppose, on this side of eternity, in this life, is going over to Tijuana and there on a, on a two-block two radius, probably 10 feet from each other, is prostitute after prostitute after prostitute after prostitute standing outside their door waiting for business. And you look into their eyes, folks, and you see emptiness. You see sadness. You see misery. You see somebody who is trapped into a lifestyle that does not make them happy and joyful. And I can remember as one of our young sisters was walking with a fellow to help hand out literature and handing out tracts to these prostitutes there in the streets of Tijuana. A young prostitute with tears in her eyes just longing as that young sister was talking with her and conversing back and forth. And she said, you don't know how much I wish I had what you all have. And she, I believe she shared her life a little bit with this young lady, young sister, and she shared it back with the group with us later of the trap that she finds herself in and, and the hopelessness and the helplessness that she's living in her life. I believe that explains Rahab's life as she was watching the God of Israel lead his people. She saw a ray of hope within these two spies who came into the land of Jericho and entered into her house. She saw a ray of hope. These men had a different purpose in life. These men weren't going to come in and use and abuse her like all the other men would do when they come into her house. Do we approach one another tonight with a teachable spirit as Rahab gives here in verse 11? What can I learn from you, my brother? We can liken that in the church. We can liken that in just our relationships in general. Rahab was willing to be taught from the children of Israel, from these two spies in particular, because of the God that she saw them serving and worshiping. Secondly, tonight, in verses 3 and 4, you see Rahab making a decision, a firm decision. She, was, she demonstrates decisiveness. And if we're going to be revived in our heart, we're not only going to be just taught tonight, we need to be willing to make a decision to stand for God and say no to sin if we're going to be revived in our heart and in our life. Rahab received these men into her, into her house. And you can go to James 2.25. I want to just go there just to help, help us see how she demonstrates this spirit of decisiveness. Now, Rahab, I think, from the way I understand this, this story, Rahab told a lie here. In verses 3 and 4, she said, they're not, they're not here, basically. In my words, they're not here. She took them and she hid them, but she said, I wish not whence they were. I don't know where they got to. In verse, verse 5, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 4, I wish not whence they were. I don't know where they got to, but she knew where they were. She had them hidden up, upstairs. 
up on the rooftop. And I'm not sure how God looks at that or justifies that, but you go to James 2.25, and, and you see here that she was justified. And, and whatever this approach is, maybe somebody can give me the light on this after the service tonight. But James 2.25 says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot, talking about being justified by her works with our faith. She was justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. But she was justified in whatever she told the men of Jericho when they came in to try to take these two men because they knew, the king knew, that these two men had come in to spy out the land and he was not happy about it. But the point that I want to make is that Rahab made a decision, a decision that you and I must make if we want to be revived. She knew as well as the king why the spies came. Rahab knew why the spies came. She believed God of Israel. She obeyed the higher law. She was available to carry out God's intent. And she made a decision of the, of the moment. Of the decision of that moment. Think about the, the magnitude of the decisions that we make every single day. The, the decision that she made in that moment made a difference for her family as well as herself. So what choices did you make this past week? What choices did you make this past week that you think nobody will know and it hasn't affected anybody? We have no idea the impact of our choices. Thirdly tonight, Rahab demonstrates teachableness, decisiveness. Thirdly, changeableness. She was willing to be changed. As these two men came when they lodged at her house, she'd been living in prostitution her house was always open to male guests. That was, the, that was her lifestyle. They came and they went as they pleased, but Rahab was tired of her emptiness, I believe. I believe Rahab can identify with the rejection, the loneliness, the misery, the trap. But as these men treated her, they respected her, they treated her like a lady. I don't know what for conversation they must have had as these two men entered. Rahab soon got it to who they were for sure, and she knew where to put them because she probably knew that the king and the men in the city was going to come and, and try to do exactly what they were trying to do. And they, and they appreciated, these two men appreciated Rahab. They appreciated her accommodations to stay there overnight. And what a difference this makes on a person when we show love, when we show respect, when we show appreciation, when we show that we care. What a tremendous difference that leaves on the Rahabs. That is what draws them to Christ because what do they see? They see our God that we worship. They see his love flowing through us into their lives. And Rahab saw that in these two young men. And that is why Jesus can reach every heart tonight no matter who we are. His love is unconditional. That's why when we get ourselves in the way and try to be Jesus and try to change people, which we can't, by the way, we mess things all up. We muddy it up. We mess it up. And we, we wreck our relationships for, with each other sometimes for sure. Whenever we try on our own strength to overcome and be the person that we want to be, that's why we surrender back to Jesus and we let him live his life through us, live his spirit through us. Just to feel appreciated. Rahab is here tonight desiring just to feel that love and that acceptance and that appreciation. Not for her life and not for the sin that she's choosing to live in. Don't get me wrong here tonight. But for her as a person. The fact that she could see, she could be washed in the blood of Jesus just like you. She could come to Bethany Mennonite Church. 
just like you and be a, be a saint, be a child of God, be a believer of the God of Israel just as you are? Is that possible for a Rahab tonight? And there's plenty of Rahabs that's looking at your life and looking at mine and just making that decision every day by how you and I are living, whether that's possible or not. Rahab was responding to the God of Israel, to, the, to God's people, but specifically now to these two men as they came into her home. And she began to see hope for the hopeless. She began to put her faith in that same God that she saw them putting their faith in. She wanted that. Her heart was willing to be changed. She wanted to be changed. How many of us are willing to change a, a sin, a bad habit, to be near our Savior? You want revival? You want revival? That's part of it. How many of us tonight live so differently than our lost neighbor? that our neighbor sees that the God of Israel is our God today as well. You know, you think about that a little bit. Rahab's living there in Jericho. And as these men came in and they delivered the message to her, and she knew that just as, just as God had brought the children of Israel through that Red Sea, just as God, God had helped the children of Israel overcome the cities prior to getting to Jericho, she knew it. They knew it in the city that this was going to happen there as well. And they feared what was going to take place. And so what did the men of the city try to do? Try to kill them or take care of them or do what they wanted to do. They didn't want them to come in, but they were trying to fight against the God of Israel. How, how small we really are when we try to take things into our own hands. But the fact that Rahab knew that and she had enough courage to say, listen, young, young men or men, would you please work something out with me? Can you please save me and my household? Would you please let me let them come in when you come into the city and destroy it? Can you please have mercy on us? And of course, they agreed and made a commitment to each other. And we know this, this very well. But how many of us are shouting and telling our lost neighbors? I wonder how many people Rahab went out and told in that city that night that our city is going to be destroyed or the weeks and the months to come. I don't know how long it was till they actually came in and destroyed Jericho. I mean, they, they, they flattened the city, destroyed it mercy, mercilessly except Rahab and her family. And we're living in a city. We're living in a country. We're living in a land that's going to be burnt up and destroyed one day. And just as Rahab teaches us a heart of changeableness, I believe probably Rahab and her family had a desire to, to tell the folks in the city to what was going to happen. And they needed to get saved. They needed to be, to be reconciled to the God of Israel. And I wonder how half-hearted am I at the sinner friend that I work with or that I see, that I rub shoulders with when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the fact that this, this world isn't going to be here forever. And I wonder tonight how many are conveying the seriousness of that message to our lost loved ones as Rahab did. How many of us are going to the prostitute's house? Men tonight, how many of us are going to the prostitute's house? You say, oh, I'm, I, don't, I don't go to such places at all. Where are we at on our smartphones? We're not going to get into that tonight. Where are we at on our computers? What are we viewing? What are we taking in? What are we watching? What romance novels might we be going to? We're going to the prostitute's house. Just as many men in the city of Jericho were doing, and then their lives were destroyed because of indulging in that sin.
This should cause change in our hearts and our lifestyles, just as it did in Rahab's. Fourthly tonight, Rahab demonstrates devotedness. She was teachable. She was decisive. She was changeable, and she demonstrates devotedness. And you see that in verses 12 and 13, where she made the commitment with these two men. She had committed her life for theirs. And what's admirable about this is she was committed, she was devoted. She wasn't willing to just do it selfishly for her own, but she had love for her family where she wanted them to be saved as well. And they agreed their life for hers. If you flip back to Joshua chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, you see there that Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country. We'll back up to verse 21 just to see how the city was utterly destroyed. All that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword, they were destroyed. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. She was at their mercy. Rahab was at their mercy, but they were first at hers. Those two men could have been destroyed. Uh, they could have been killed. Their faith didn't have to be destroyed in the God of Israel. But they were, she was at their mercy, but they were first at hers. And fifthly tonight, the attribute that we can learn from Rahab, our visitor here, is a heart that demonstrates faithfulness. Verses 14 and 15. The men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall where she dwelt. She had made a very definite agreement. She did what she was told to do. Her family now was willing to become part of the people of Israel. She now was going to be adopted into the family, if you will, as we are adopted into God's family tonight. And she can be saved only as she commits herself to the God of Israel. You and I tonight can be saved only as we commit our life to the God of Israel and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just so thankful tonight that it doesn't matter what our last name is. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter who we are tonight. It doesn't matter how rich or poor we are. It doesn't matter in the eyes of Jesus. He died for all. And his desire is that all men would be saved in his kingdom. Old habits, gross sins can be washed away in the blood of Jesus. There is potential tonight in any heart that God gets a hold of. Regardless of the level of sin. And I guess tonight I just wanted to prepare us for our thinking. As we come this week, what is our thinking? I've heard, I've heard requests already tonight for, I don't know, names that I don't know who they are. I don't know, if if, I don't know who they are. But I believe and trust that you have a desire for all men, all mankind. Not just the backslider tonight, but the one who's been living in horrible sin to be found saved in Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. His sovereign grace is sufficient even for the vilest of sinners. And tonight we can fall on our knees, embrace salvation through the blood, and be set free. God will reward our faithfulness if we are committed, if we are devoted, if we are teachable, if we are decisive, if we are changeable. 
Go with me yet in closing to Matthew 1 as we see the faithfulness of Rahab. I want you to see how this affects actually our Savior. She's in the same lineage, the same family. Matthew chapter 1, we see where she's in the same lineage as, of, of Jesus Christ. One Verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. There's some genealogy here. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharez and Zerah of Tamar, and Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. So if you look carefully there, Rahab in verse 5 had Boaz. Her son was Boaz. Her grandson was Obed. Her great-grandson would have been Jesse. And then, of course, her great-great-grandson would have been King David. And, of course, we know that Jesus falls in that line as well. So the, the very lady who has lived a wicked, defiled, corrupt, immoral, you put in there whatever adjective you want to, because of her choices to be taught, to be, de- to be decisive in her commitment, and her, to be willing to be changed, to be willing to be devoted to Christ, she became the great-great-grandmother of King David, which ultimately led to the Messiah, the lineage of, of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a call to revival tonight. If we could just have Jesus here to teach us what revival really looks like and what we need in 2019, I believe he would do so well. Somebody asked, said tonight about we need to be stirred up. We need to be stirred up. Jesus would do so well if he would get a hold of us, if we would let him get a hold of us and change our lives in this way. So I'm just so thankful that Rahab doesn't have to sit here. She's now clothed. She doesn't have tattoos all over her body. She doesn't have body piercing. She doesn't have her hair all dolled up. She sits as a pure, honest woman before God who has been washed in the blood, sanctified by his cleansing power. And she can leave this place tonight a saint because of the God of Israel, because of what she saw in God's people. Tonight, if you hear his voice, Rahab or You put in the most Mennonite name that we have. If you hear his voice, harden not our hearts. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith the heart of Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. I believe, as Rahab has gone on before us many, many years ago and taught us what revival looks like in the heart that God gets a hold of, I believe we have the hope and the promise that we're going to meet her one day in heaven if we're faithful. A person who has lived a life like that. God bless you as you allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart and life and change us and prepare us for the revival that we need in our hearts.